Hello and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. This is Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer, speaking to Aaron McFarlane, who's on location at the ACC tournament in Brooklyn. Uh, we're doing this over the phone here instead of in person like we usually do. Aaron, how does it feel to be a guest on the podcast from afar? It feels amazing. And Andy, I have to tell you, I'm standing just steps away from Luigi's Pizza, which according to their website, and I have not vetted this, I'm going to trust them. This is the place where Adam Sandler taught his son to eat pizza in Big Daddy. So uh, this is a big moment. It's definitely on my list of things to do. Uh, make sure I see that counter where the boy was sitting with his earmuffs uh, eating pizza. But, yes, uh, we're in Brooklyn. It is a little bit uh, strange to be in Brooklyn for the ACC tournament. Uh, I've written a blog post sort of outlining that whole idea the notion of uh, the, the tournament being here and, and kind of how strange it is because it's such a small pebble in a big pond compared to what it is in Greensboro and even DC. I mean, as, as big of a metropolis as that place is, you still saw the signs all around DC, you know, the ACC tournament is here. I think it was really embraced there and here. It's sort of a drop in the bucket compared to all the other activities going on, including another conference tournament that has a little bit richer history in this town in the big East. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think you could play this tournament on the moon and people will watch on TV. It's, I mean, it's the grandest of them all. Uh, it's, it's the most talented league this year for sure. And, uh, you know, everybody likes good basketball, but uh, I don't just get the sense that people are really buzzing about the ACC tournament here in, in the big apple. But it doesn't matter though, at this point, I mean, like you mentioned, it, it's basically a TV show. I mean, I, I know right. the, the in-person stuff is a really big deal in North Carolina. And uh, from what I gather, the prices up there are just absurd. Uh, I mean, they're, they're like, you know, you could, you could get a, the cheapest ticket to Hamilton for what it costs for one of the day passes. Uh, I think David Teal put that in his column uh, writing about it up there. Uh, so I'm curious what kind of reception it's going to have up there in terms of just uh, fan support. Because it, A, it's hard to get to. B, it's really expensive to buy tickets, and C, it's expensive just to be in New York, like to stay in a hotel room somewhere. Uh, that's going to cost you an arm and a leg, whereas I, I don't think that's the case in Greensboro or if you have to stay outside of town, you know, Burlington or something like that. I think you can find a pretty good rate uh, at one of those places if you even have to travel whatsoever. So, uh, yeah, I'm kind of curious how this whole grand experiment works. And uh, have you been to the arena yet? I have. I went there for the interviews last night with the Hokies and, and Wahoos, which is the last opportunity we'll have before they play their games on Wednesday to talk to those guys. Uh, the arena is cool. Uh, it's an arena. Uh, it's got a lot of luxury suites and such. Uh, that, that's what uh, drives the, the traffic now, and that's when they build when they build arenas. That's what they look to do. But yeah, going back to your point uh, that, that it's a TV show, I agree. I also, you know. I didn't put this in my blog, but I, I've been thinking about it a lot. I, I, I think you can draw a little bit of a parallel between what's happened here and, and what's happened with NASCAR because, you know, you look, both entities began in the Southeast, uh, were, were raised in the Southeast and drew large, large followings of very loyal support in the Southeast. And you have traditions that go back 
you know, many years. I, I grew up in Maryland. I didn't, and I, I was a Maryland guy. I went to Maryland, but I didn't go to the ACC tournament. But I know a lot of people who did, and it was a tradition to take your, you know, your dad or, or your daughter or whoever and, and go to the ACC tournament. Many people just did it year after year, playing vacations around th- this time of year, and it's just becoming um, uh, cost prohibitive for I think for a lot of people to do that. It, it's not the easiest place to get to. Uh, from from the southeast all the time and and it's just you know uh, the familiarity is not there i wonder i mean i don't think that, that the acc is going to run into the same fate that nascar is where there's just a, a massive decline in ratings and everything just kind of falls off but i do wonder if you do alienate some of your longtime fans because you're you're going away from them i mean you, these, these fans are help are part of what helped make this event special and you're not really going to have that, I don't think, on on Friday and Saturday like you would uh, in Greensboro or even Atlanta or you know someplace where it's not a, a terrible drive for people. So we'll see. I mean, I think there'll be plenty of excitement. You know, you'll see a lot of Wall Street types. You know, root for Duke and uh, Carolina is a national team. There'll be plenty of Carolina fans. I think Notre Dame will probably have a decent uh, following. Syracuse, of course, will. Um, but you wonder just if it's going to have that same in arena feel that the later week games did in, in the South. Well, I'm curious about that. I mean, it's not the, you know, 1995 ACC anymore. Uh, this is a conference that has expanded its reach. Uh, you know, seven teams in the ACC now are former Big East schools. Uh, you know, you have Virginia Tech, Miami, Boston College, uh, Syracuse, uh, Pittsburgh coming in, Louisville, Notre Dame. I mean, that's half the league now that used to be these Big East schools. And, uh, you know, I know the Hokies didn't make it to the Big East tournament very often when, when they were there. They had to qualify it for the, there because not all the teams made it. But when they did in New York City, that was sort of a big deal to make it there. Uh, so, you know, maybe this is just kind of a sign of the times is that the league is no longer this sort of southeastern uh, league like it's been for a long time. And, you know, I, I think if it's a success, they could strike a balance with it. I mean, it's not like just because it's here, you have to abandon uh, Greensboro or Charlotte or those locations. And I, I know there's a political side of things with this, with the HB2, and they're going to be deciding whether or not they'll they'll award those places in, I think it's 2019 and beyond, uh, whether they go back there based on that sort of bathroom bill. But uh, you know, if that gets resolved, I think there's a balance that you can have where you have it in the north and you have it in the south and, you know, you have it in Washington, D.C., which is sort of in the middle. And, uh, you know, you can appease a lot of groups of fans like that. Well, one year it's easy for somebody to, from Syracuse to get to another year. It's easier for people from uh, Atlanta to get to or or the Carolina schools. Uh, I just think with this co- this conference now being, you know, truly an Atlantic Coast conference, one that goes up and down the eastern seaboard, I think this this seems to make sense, doesn't it? That's a very rational opinion, Andy, and I, I understand it. And anyway, I think, it, of course, it was only a matter of time before they played this tournament above the Mason-Dixon line uh, and sort of served their other constituents. However, that doesn't mean people down here have to like it, or people where we, we live have to like it. Uh, it doesn't mean they, they don't have they, they don't have a right to sort of resist change and pine a little bit for the way things used to be. I mean, maybe it's the turning 40 thing that I've done, but I, I, I tend to find myself uh, more and more often resisting change, uh, or at least uh, taking a good long look at the change before I decide, well, things change, it's okay. You know, when you're younger, you, you, you just say that, and you say, you know, hey, just get, get with the times. 
buddy. You know, this is this is the way it is. Uh, there's money to be made. There's there's other uh, people to think about other than the you know the original schools, the charter members of this league. Um, so you know, just deal with it. But I also think that you know, I think there you can be a little sensitive. Uh, you can think about uh, the traditions that you know, have developed over the years and what this league tournament has meant to so many people and, uh, you know, at least acknowledge the fact that, Hey, we're, we're sacrificing something here as well as, as well as maybe gaining something on the other side of it. Wasn't, wasn't that always Maryland's complaint was that the tournament was held in North Carolina every year and never mm-hmm. where they were. And that they, yeah. fi- they finally got one in DC in like 2007 or 2006, something like that. They lost in the first game that they played. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and of course I love Gary Williams, but I, my opinion on that whole thing was always shut up, Gary, just shut up. You know, like just go win, go win, and they did. They ended up winning one in Greensboro one year, I think twenty uh, two thousand three or something, two thousand one. I don't remember exactly. Well, was which it the it was. was it the national championship season? Was that the year they won it? Or I forget. Exactly. No, it was. It, I think it was the year before their championship season. I think okay. they, the one year, the first year they made the the final four. Uh, they also won the ACC tournament, and they did it in Greensboro, and it was, you know, uh, it was a bigger deal because they did it in Greensboro. You know, they did it in a place where they really, really had to earn it, and it was not easy. Now, I understand his take, and I would understand, you know, a Jim Beheim type of take, take where you're like, hey, if we need a win or two to get in the NCAA tournament, and we've got to play UNC just miles from their campus or, or Duke just miles from their campus. Uh, that's a major competitive disadvantage. I understand all that, but I also understand that um, you know your biggest uh, support base is in that region, and I think there you know there's something to be said for playing the games where everyone cares about the games and where everybody's talking about the games. That's all anybody talked about Greensboro all week when when the ACC tournament is down was in town. And that's that's certainly not the case here in, in New York City. That's certainly all the talk at Stamey's Barbecue that people are having in Greensboro. <laughs> who's going to win it? Probably not at Luigi's Pizza. You know, they're too busy getting their pictures taken where the Adam Sandler movie was called. <laughs> uh, what? Yeah, I think part of it is you know, if this was in Madison Square Garden, I think it's maybe a different conversation. Uh, then you really get like, oh, this is like this, uh, you know, famous historical basketball place where all these great memories have been played. Uh, you know, I don't know if the Big East will ever uh, expand beyond that and, and opt out of Madison Square Garden. This seems like it's kind of central to that whole conference's uh, mission from a basketball standpoint. But I know the ACC would probably pounce on an opportunity to go to Madison Square Garden. I, I feel like Barclays is sort of like a, uh, you know, second place prize. Like, ah, oh, we'll do it in New York, kind of. We'll do it over in Brooklyn, not not the New York that everybody thinks of when they go there. Yeah, I was reading the story, uh, the AP story today. I think Ralph Russo wrote about it. You know, just the tournament coming to to New York and sort of juxtaposing the the, the league with the history of the league with with the city. And uh, I think he quoted Patino in there. It was either Patino or Bayheim, more likely Patino. But he was saying, like, yeah, yeah, we're in New York, but we're not in Madison Square Garden, so this is, doesn't feel like a Big East tournament. You know, this doesn't have the same feel as a Big East tournament. We'll see how it turns out. It's, is what Roy Williams said. You know, hey, look, uh, we'll see how it turns out. He said something similar to what I just said, which was, you know, there, there was there in Carolina. That's that's all they talked about when it was there. You know, it's it's 
you know, the, the it's sort of like, you know, I go to, I used to at least go to opening day for the Orioles every year and you pull into the city and there was flags with, you know, Orioles uh, logos on them and pictures. And it just felt like you were at an event. You know, you felt like you were a place where this was the only thing going on today was, was opening day. And similarly, it felt like in Greensboro, and to maybe a lesser extent, Charlotte, um, Atlanta, D.C., like that was the thing that was happening there. And so, you know, you lose a little bit of that, but I don't think people are going to uh, be disappointed in the play on the court. This is, I've written about it. I wrote about it yesterday. I, mean, I think this, and it's not really a, a, a outlier of a take, but this has the potential to be you know, one of the best takes in the tournament we've ever seen. Uh, just so much uh, parity. So much depth. I mean, the tenth seed is, is Wake Forest, which just beat Louisville and won at Tech. I mean, this is a this is a team that could maybe make a run. And and you know, your ACC Coach of the Year is coaching the number eleven seed at Georgia Tech. So uh, there, there's all sorts of storylines that are going to develop here. And and the kind of things that we talk about earlier in the week will probably dissolve by the time we reach Thursday. You mentioned that AP story. Was that the one that had the accompanying photos of the mascots sort of touring that New was, York City? And they, they, there's one where there's like four of them holding this crying child by the Brooklyn Bridge or something <laughs> like that. It's like these mascots are terrorizing the children of New York. Get them out of there. This is horrible. Yes, the poor people of New York don't know what hit them as these monsters have shown up and, and have just uh, decided they're going to throw their weight around and grab babies and do whatever they need to do. To make this league work here what what are you uh you know self-described rube in the city going to do in new york you've already witnessed a giant rat on the subway so i feel like you've gotten the new york experience uh you know berman's a northeast guy what's he telling you to do uh when you have free time up there well how about that photo of the trash lining the streets that i, I put out too on twitter that was, maybe it's trash I mean, day that, that... ever consider that maybe it's trash day new yorkers have to throw out trash too well, yes, of course. And the, and the trash man came uh, while we were at the arena, and there was fresh trash out there when we came back. I mean, it, it, the trash never stops. I mean, it's always here. It's sort of like those banners I was talking about in Baltimore. It's that you have, you have trash water street. But no, uh, I don't know. I thought about, you know, my kind of place would probably be like a Coney Island, but this isn't the time of year to do that. You know, I, mean, I don't know how much activity or fun that will be. I mean, when I was in Chicago, that's what I did. I went to the shore and uh, was by the water last March and then really enjoyed all of that. Um, you know, there's ground zero might be a place that uh, I would want to go uh, just to, just to take it all in there and see it. Uh, I, you know, I haven't been there uh, since, Obviously, since 2001, so that would be um, that would be a place that you could you, you could certainly uh, argue that that you should go. Uh, maybe the Statue of Liberty, Barber Mike Barber from Richmond Times, he he highly recommends Statue of Liberty. Every time I think Statue of Liberty, I just think of that Jim Gavigan bit about regifting the Statue of Liberty. Well, that's not too good with me. <laughs> oh, Japan was having a birthday. That's all I can think about. So I'm sure I would be quoting that line the whole time as we rode the ferry next to it or whatever. But uh, he says it's a good, it's worth doing. So maybe I'll do that. We're going to have some time because all the games are in the evenings, including Virginia's. You know, Virginia Tech plays at seven all every night. They're here, um, which might not be long when with a, a potential date with uh, Florida State on Thursday. It's even. You know, that's even looking probably too far ahead when you've got a Wake Forest team that just beat you at your own court. 
uh, looming on a Wednesday as an almost certain opponent because they're they're going to they're a 13 point chalk today in their game against Boston College. So it looks like you're going to see the Deeks, and uh, you do have the, uh, the benefit of an extra rest compared to them. But um, so uh, that's kind of a roundabout way of saying I'm still sort of deciding what I'm going to do. But I know uh, the Big Daddy Luigi's place is, is in my future. That's that's about all I can guarantee. Well, that's a that's a lock. I know Barbara will have plenty of restaurant recommendations for you. I'll throw one out myself. It's a small Italian eatery named Sparrow. If you can find one of those, they're they're hard to find in New York, but it's it's classic New York pizza. Let me tell you that. Uh, you, you you will. I actually ate there yesterday at the uh, when we had our little train layover in DC. I was like, man, an authentic New York slice right here in DC. <laughs> Only the best. Well, you mentioned Virginia Tech uh, briefly there. We're recording this uh, Tuesday around lunch. Uh, so Wake Forest and Boston College have not played yet, so we don't know who Virginia Tech's going to play next. I think it's a safe assumption to say Wake Forest, the way that the Deacons have played lately. Uh, you know, Boston College is the 15 seed in this, so that'd be quite an upset for them to, to win that first-round game. Uh, it'd be an interesting rematch. Like you mentioned, Wake Forest just beat the Hokies in Blacksburg. Uh, it was a comeback win, too, if I remember. The, the Hokies were scorching in the first half. I think I looked at the at Twitter. Uh, it was my, my daughter's one-year-old birthday party was that day, so I was checking Twitter in between uh, you know, conversations with people, and I think the Hokies were shooting like 70% at some point in the first half, something like that. And I kept noticing they were only up by like six or seven. And it's like, well, if they're shooting 70% and they're only up six or seven, I feel like they might come back to earth in this game. Uh, sure enough, Wake Forest comes back and wins that one. Uh, what do you think about a potential rematch of those two teams? You were at the game, at the Wake Forest game, correct? I was. Yeah, so you, you know, if those teams were to play again, uh, you know, sort of handicap that, what, what do you think of that particular matchup for the Hokies? It's a tough matchup. I remember going, uh, there was a Virginia game when the Virginia played uh, Wake Forest earlier in the year. Uh, the final margin ended up being Virginia by, I think, 13 or 14, but that, that game was far from a 13 or 14 point game. And I remember walking away from John Paul Jones arena that day and saying, man, that week team's pretty good. I mean, you know, Collins, everybody knows about Collins, you know, probably the, one of the premier, he is one of the premier post players in the country. and certainly the ACC. Uh, you know, you've got some guards who can play. You've got a guard who shoots 47% from beyond the three point line. And he's got more than a hundred attempts. I mean, it's no joke. So, uh, they've got a decent combination of inside and outside, and I think Manning did a good job uh, of, of coaching this team through some trials and tribulations. And they've come out the other side, and as I said before, beat beat Louisville, which is a you know I know that was at home, but that's still a, a really nice win for them when they absolutely had to have it. And then coming to a place in Castle Coliseum where the Hokies had lost one game all year, and it was a game that uh, was kind of a coin flip at the end against. Notre Dame and to come and, and, and charge back from double digits, as you mentioned, and and win that game, shoot 61% in the second half. Uh, all those things are, I think are, are, are troublesome. If you're, if you're Virginia tech, you look at that and you say, okay, we're going to see a team that's playing pretty well, has a lot of confidence, has, has plenty of confidence from having just beaten us. And, you know, has, has pretty good players too. You know, that's the, I think it's going to come down to what happens, I think on, on Saturday is that, you know, there was, I think 33 trips to the free throw line for Wake Forest. And that's just, that's just not something that tech can absorb. As Buzz Williams said, you know, that's, that's supposed to be us 
going to the line that many times rather than the other team because they're, we, we, you know we've written quite a bit about the the, the tight rotation ever since the Chris Clark injury. They've got seven guys basically that they play, and really six of them who play uh, significant minutes. And then you have Hadeem C who plays about ten to twelve a game. You know you can't you can't have guys in foul trouble. You just can't. All of a sudden you got walk-ons out there like you did on Saturday. Uh, at key moments in the game when the game's still in doubt. So I think if they can stay out of foul trouble, um, if they can shoot anywhere close to what they've been shooting during this stretch that started against Virginia with the double overtime victory, uh, you know, where they went uh, five and two to close the season, if they can shoot anywhere close to what they've been shooting, they'll be fine. I think they'll still win um, because they do have a lot of weapons. I mean, Tech has – you know, they're with with outlaws emergence, high outlaws emergence as as a, a legitimate outside shooting threat for them. Uh, they basically have four guys who can who can light it up at any time from outside, and you know you're going to get your your blue collar effort in the post from Zach Lede. So they don't have a lot of size. I mean, college is is a bad matchup for Tech because you know Tech has one guy who stands over six foot seven, and that's that's D, who I talked to quite a bit with last night, and I'll have some stuff online uh, from that conversation. I enjoyed my conversation with the Senegal freshman, Senegal native. But um, I mean, I think I think if you're asking who's going to win, I think the, the Virginia, uh, excuse me, the Vegas line will be something very close to a pickup, and it's possible that Wake Forest could be a slight favorite just given what we saw on Saturday. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think when Clark got hurt, and that was in the Virginia game. Uh, they ended up somehow winning that, uh, you know, by the miracle of the ball hanging on the rim in overtime and, and then pulling out in double overtime. Uh, I think a lot of people thought, okay, pack it in. That's that's it for Virginia Tech the rest of the season. They actually showed a ton of fight down the stretch, like five and two. Uh, I didn't think that was remotely possible for this team, just given how thin they are. Uh, I will say so much of their success is just seems dependent on whether they're knocking down the threes. And that's a tough thing to bring from game to game. I mean, if you can, uh, you know, they say defense travels. Well, defense shows up on a week-to-week, or a game-to-game basis. Three-point shooting doesn't, which makes it hard for a team like this to, you know, go on a consistent run. And, uh, you know, what would they have to win? Four games in four days to win this ACC tournament. I think that's uh, probably a bridge too far, certainly when you look at their depth. Uh, you know, playing that many games in, in that many days would just be a killer on a, a team that only goes, you know, six, seven deep. Uh, but at the same time, you, you play that sort of three-point mentality and, and force teams to guard everywhere around the perimeter. That's yeah, a really tough matchup. I mean, sometimes it's just good to be that sort of different team where, okay, have, have four guys chucking it from deep and one guy going in for rebounds and, you know, make the other team have to deal with that. So that's why I think Virginia Tech could be an interesting team uh, even though I don't necessarily think they'll make a, a, a deep run in this tournament, if that makes any sense. Uh, it does. Yeah, it, you know, p- potential matchup in the, in the if they were to get by Wake Forest, per, assuming Wake Forest. We're making a lot of assumptions here <laughs> on results of this thing, but uh, in the, the quarterfinals would be Florida State, which, uh, you know, pretty good size on Florida State, pretty good front court. I think uh, matchups-wise, that, that's a tough matchup even in that round. So it's just... Uh, you know, I don't think you're going to get an easy matchup in, in the ACC, but I know Florida State with its size could be a problem for the Hokies in that sense. Well, Berman, who's the beat writer, you know, the Virginia Tech basketball beat writer for the Royal Times, he guarantees they will not beat Florida State. 
He says, there's no, there is no chance in, uh, I won't even say the word he said, that they can win against Florida State. He was and, and they've got no chance. Uh, they're not going to win that. Yeah. There's no chance. <laughs> That's pretty good. That I'm sure. I'm sure. He, I'm sure he was pretty calm and rational when he was making his point and didn't get all worked up about it. No, no, not a not at all. No, but he, you know, he, he obviously makes a good point. He was in Tallahassee. He saw the beach out there, and of course, that was Tallahassee. And, and FSU hasn't been nearly as good outside of Tallahassee as they've been in Tallahassee. But the way Leonard Hamilton deploys his troops, I mean, you know, bringing you know, 10, 11, 12 guys in there to just wave after wave of, of, of fresh legs. Uh, that is just a nightmare for for where tech is right now. But I think you're right. I, I think you're right that tech is a very interesting team because it's sort of the live by the three, die by the three type of mentality where you, you almost feel like you you can put them against almost anybody. And if they're hitting threes, it could be one of those nights where it's uh, you know a magical upset type of night. You know, in the NCAA tournament, if they get well, they will get there, but. Uh, depends on who they're matched up with. I mean, it could be a real tough second round matchup if they were to get through their first round of the NCAA tournament. But you know, I would give Tech a puncher's chance just because of the shooting ability they have. And so, uh, I you know, I'm, I'm not going to write them off as completely as Berman will, but I will trust Berman's uh, analysis in that it would be a very, very, very difficult matchup for Tech if they were even to get to that portion of the tournament. So I think he's assuming he'll be heading home on Friday and I'll be here as long as we still have a local team, whether it's Virginia or Virginia tech still left here. Well, what would be a good matchup? I'm looking at these four teams that got the double by North Carolina, the one seed, uh, Florida state, the two Notre Dame, the three and Louisville, Louisville. I mean, I think Louisville could be in contention for a one seed overall. And the, the NCAA tournament is the four seed. Um, you know, Louisville could, to get to the final Louisville might have to beat Duke and North Carolina. Uh, it's just amazing how deep uh, this tournament is. Uh, I mean, is there would there have been a favorable draw in any of those matchups? I, I guess just looking at it, uh, I, maybe Notre Dame. I, I I don't know. I mean, Notre yeah, Dame's a team that beat the Hokies in Castle. Right. That, but that's the one I would choose too. I mean, I think they play a little bit more of a half court style that uh, you know they're not designed to really wear you down or wear you out. Uh, and you know, look. These guys are young. I mean, I know, you know we, we talk a lot about how tired they're going to be and, you know, how fatigued. But, I mean, adrenaline is a powerful drug. Uh, you know, this is, a, this is the biggest stage that, that, that this particular group has played on yet. So you, you may get a little extra gas in the tank than you would have had. But I think, if yeah, if you saw Notre Dame as your potential uh, third-round opponent as opposed to Florida State, you'd feel more – confident about uh, uh, winning that game. I mean, I really, but then again, you know, it's just, <laughs> who knows? I mean, you really, you're right. Just kind of toss them all into a bag outside of probably BC. You know, NC State has a history of making runs in this tournament, so I don't want to write them off completely, even though they've already, you know, they have a lame duck coach. I'll write them off. <laughs> With a lame duck coach, I'll write them off. I think they've, uh, they've checked out for the, the season. Yeah, and Pitt, Pitt certainly looked like it had checked out when it, you know, it kind of folded the tent there on senior day in Charlottesville. So, you know, take those three and kind of toss them out. Clemson, I mean, did take UNC to overtime uh, in January. I mean, that's a team that you never know. They played a ton of close games and they lost a ton of close games. So they're probably better than their record would suggest. And, and we've already talked about Wake, Wake Forest post-potency. So, I mean, anybody from maybe the uh, the 11 
12 seed. I don't, I don't really feel that that hot about Georgia Tech, but uh, so then they're the 11 seed. So maybe maybe 10 on up. I think has a has a shot to win multiple games in this tournament. As far as winning the whole thing, I would uh, you know I'm going to go with UNC just because chalk. their muscle chalk. Yeah, yeah, it's a chalky pick. I mean, I've liked Notre Dame all year, but I just you know the more you watch that UNC team, the more you feel like that's that's a team that might you know cut down the nest in Phoenix. I mean, this is a it's a really good team and. You know, we get the double buys is a big advantage. You know, Louisville it seems like you know, in games that involve have involved our local teams, Louisville has not exactly uh, impressed all that much. Oh yeah, they, Louisville. They not look horrible in that Virginia game. Right, there was a long stretch during this season where the, where Louisville was the only ranked team, currently ranked team that that Virginia had beaten on its resume. I mean, it was you know, and they've done it twice. Uh, and of course, Tech went up there and shot lights out, lost uh, by six. I believe the final margin was six. So I mean, you know, to to go on the road and as bad as the Hokies had played on the road, for them to go up there shorthanded without um, Clark and and play that well, it kind of dropped Louisville in my mind a little bit as well as elevating Tech in my mind too. Uh, you know, the potential for both. So I don't know. I think Louisville is kind of in a show me position. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, they need to show me a little more than what I've seen when I've actually followed their games. Well, you referenced it earlier that Virginia Tech probably doesn't have work to do to get into the NCAA tournament. And I know that's a foreign concept for Hokies fans that have gone into the ACC tournament going, ah, is it going to need one? Is it going to need two? And it seems like no matter how many they won, they were always team number 65 or 69, whatever the, whatever the first team out in the tournament was. Uh they seem like a, a lock at this point for their first bid in, in 10 years, over 10 years now. Uh, I'm looking at some of these bracketology things. Everybody's a, a certified bracketologist. It's like they give these degrees out without anybody even going to class. Uh, Lenardi has them in a, as an eight seed playing Northwestern. Uh, Gonzaga possibly in the second round. Uh, CBS Sports, Jerry Palm has them as a seven playing Michigan State, potentially Arizona in the second round. Uh, SB Nation has them as an eight playing Arkansas, potentially Kansas in the second round. Uh, it seems like that seven to you know nine range is kind of where they are right now. I'd be curious, even you know, I feel like they'd have to win a couple games even to to make it seem like they could move up uh, any in that sort of seeding. Does it seem like they're sort of uh, you know where they are <laughs> in their the NCAA tournament spot? It doesn't seem like there's too much uh, movement that can still take place there, right? Yeah, because even if you lose to Wake Forest, again, that's a coin. I think that's going to be a coin flip game in the eyes of Vegas. And so I don't think it's going to be all that damaging if you lose it. You know, I don't think people are going to say, well, they're not as good as we thought. You know, that's, that's a game we've already seen and already seen the result of. So if you have them as an, and let me just say, I think Tech would sign up for that SB Nation uh, spot right now. I mean, if you're an eighth seed in Kansas's bracket, you, you're, you're standing and applauding silently. Because Kansas against the spread this year is awful. I mean, I, and this you know this is my biggest indicator of whether you're exceeding expectations or meeting expectations is whether or how you are against the spread. They have escaped a lot of games that uh, they probably should have lost or could have lost. Uh, they're vulnerable, and so that's a that's the number one seed that you can as as we were talking about before with your shooting ability, you have a shot to beat Kansas. I know people will listen to this. And say, 
you know, McFarland saying that the, the tech can beat Kansas, but he's crazy. But I'm that's what that's the headline of, I'm putting on the podcast when I post <laughs> this thing. But I, I'm saying nobody wants to be a number eight seed, but if you are a number eight seed, that's the one. That's the that's the bracket you want to be wherever Kansas is. So, I, well, I, I look uh, at I look at Gonzaga. I mean, I feel like to a certain degree they're still sort of a paper tiger. Uh, and I know they've had one loss all year, but you know they just don't play a schedule like these other schools. I think sometimes uh, you can see a, a school like St. Joseph's when they were undefeated going into the tournament, and sometimes those uh, you know non-power conference schools get a, a really high seed like that, and there's still sort of question marks about how good they are. Uh, again, that's not that I don't. It's not like Virginia Tech's gonna be favored in that game or something like that. If if it actually you know these are all projections and. Uh, probably not even close to what it's going to be in terms of the actual matchups. But, uh, you know, like we said before, I think Virginia Tech's got a chance uh, just because it presents a unique challenge if it gets that far to, you know, have a really hot shooting day and all of a sudden uh, a top seed is trying to play catch up or in a game that they're not quite, you know, a tight game that they're not used to playing so far. So, uh, yeah, I think anywhere from that, you know, 7 to 10 range, I think it'd be a stretch to think that Virginia Tech could get up to a six, barring, you know, like a, a run to the finals or something like that in this tournament. Uh, you know, it's not the worst place to be. I mean, you can be a dangerous team uh, in that seven to ten range. I mean, your first matchup is going to be about even regardless. It's not like the eight, nine is like, oh, the eight is so much better than the nine or the seven is so much better than the ten. And those teams are all kind of in the same mix there. Uh, and then you can play the undercard thing, which Buzz Williams does so well if you get to that second round and say, no, it's us against the world. Nobody's expecting us to beat a one seed or a two seed uh, in this game. Uh, you know, I don't think it's necessarily the worst thing for this team going into the tournament. Yeah, and I think you make a good point about Gonzaga because I, I did watch some of that team last night, and I wasn't overly impressed with them. I think that's the first Gonzaga game I've seen all year just because of when they play and how early I get out those days. And, um, that guy, that post player they have, you know, who's making scoring all their points, I and mean, he looks like somebody. He looks like he's forty. I mean, he looks like somebody at the Y. Uh, I, I I can't pronounce his name. It's a it's a foreign name, but um, and God knows I don't know how to pronounce no foreign names. But, uh, but yeah, You're I mean, in New York now. You got to broaden your horizons here. Go have a clog clash on on the sidewalk and a crab juice. <laughs> That was a good tweet, by the way. Uh, yes, uh, but yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I mean, it, it's going to be an exciting March. I've it has been a decade, exactly a decade now. I mean, it was 2007 the last time they were in it. Uh, I can't, you know, since then I haven't been as excited about a March for sure. Uh, with both Tech and Virginia certainly in the in the bracket, and just finding out where they're going to go, who they're going to play. Uh, the matchups and how those shake out, it's it's fun. It's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot better than the whole. Well, are you on the bubble? So, you know, I just ask those questions. It's just we gotta ask them. I mean, it's sort of like the whole you know football player. Are you leaving for the NFL or not? You know, before the bowl game, you gotta ask that question. But God, it's it's just tedious. And so um, to to not have to ask the bubble question is a really nice change of pace, and certainly. Asking the bubble question is more fun than having the, the, the team having no chance of getting in, you know, not being relevant at all, which is a scenario we've seen uh, many of those past ten years. So <clears throat> I'm looking forward to it. You want to talk some football because you you've been following football. Yeah. Transition. Yeah, we'll get into the combine here. Have at it. 
Okay, well, first I want to say the turning point, you were talking about that Virginia game uh, where Virginia Virginia Tech uh, went to double overtime and the ball stayed on the flange and all that. Uh, the turning point of that game was actually Frank Beamer, and this is kind of un- underreported, but he actually gave a speech at halftime of that game uh, to the crowd. It was a drive for 25 sort of thing, but, you know, he actually, for, for Frank, it was stirring. You know, he actually got the crowd whipped up into a frenzy. He's like, you know, we got to win this game. And they were down, I think, nine or 12 points. And it was it was not looking good. And I was like, well, Frank, you know, he's going to have just as much success with this as he did as the uh, honorary assistant coach down in, in Charlottesville a few weeks ago. But he, sure enough, they storm all the way back and win. So I think Frank deserves a little nod uh, for, for turning this team around at, at, at a very pivotal time. Now you've been you've well. Been I, I like how Frank is like a, a motivational speaker for hire for all the teams. Like they showed a video of the lacrosse team where he was like outside and cold weather, and he was giving them a pregame pep talk. And like, let's go out there, let's play hard. It's like that's just what he does now. Is he's like a a man for all sports and a man for all seasons. Right? You need somebody to get fired up. You you need somebody to give a pregame talk at a beauty pageant. Frank's your guy to do that. Uh, is, <laughs> retirement sounds like it's a blast. Like, I know everybody was always yeah. like, oh, what's it going to be like for Frank in retirement? It's like he's dabbling in everything. He's, he's doing this drive for 25 thing. He's on the football committee. He's going to beauty pageants. He's having milkshakes while getting pedicure. Like, this is the life. And that's before you even get to all the yeah. golf and watching football and hanging out with the grandchildren. Like, I know for the longest time, they're like, oh, what would you do with yourself if you retired? But I think maybe this is a sign that, you know, Frank was a pretty well-adjusted person, that he can step away from football and just enjoy life. He seems to be doing it. No doubt. No doubt. I think I've written as much about Frank since he retired as I did before he did. And and yeah, this is funny, but the, the one of the minority owners, one of the local owners of the rail yard off the hockey team, uh, said that after Frank dropped the puck, he came over to, to Frank came over to this local owner and, and told him, this needs to work. And whenever you need me to come out here, I'll do it. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, well, you should have him out here every night, kid, because they threw like five grand that night when Frank was there in, in college night. But that's the kind of thing he's doing. You know, he's volunteering for all of these roles where I don't, you know, I don't think there's any compensation really for that, but other than just uh, trying to be an ambassador. And, and so good for him. I'm glad he seems to be enjoying life. And somebody who enjoyed life in Indianapolis sounds like he's plucky hot. How about that transition? That was beautiful. That was really good. Uh, I will admit that I have not followed any of this really outside of seeing some tweets pop up every now and then. Wow, look what Bucky's doing. Uh, summarize. For, let's start with Bucky. I mean, summarize. He had a monster combine then, I guess. Well, you're lucky that you don't have to pay attention to the NFL combine because it is just tedious. Like, I wasn't there, but I recorded all the days of the combine on the NFL Network, and I fast-forwarded through to catch up on stuff and see what they were saying about the Virginia Tech guys. And as much as, like, people want to make a huge deal about it, it's just guys on the field doing exercises. <laughs> like, it's, you know, oh, my gosh, this guy ran this, and he jumped this, and, uh, you know, like, he did this in the vertical leap, and you go, right, but how is he as a football player? <laughs> like. We, everybody makes such a big deal about the combine and how you do in one workout. It's like, well, a lot of these guys have three or four years of actual football game film that people can turn on and see whether or not they're a good player. Uh, so that's why I think, you know, you get to this uh, stage of the football season and the combine, people just starve to talk about anything. So 
uh, sort of overreaction central with, oh, this guy jumped this and ran this and did all this. Uh, you know, that being said, I think Bucky had a pretty good combine in that sense. I mean, he, he set a tight end record for the broad jump, uh, 11 feet, two inches, which are numbers that, you know, even the best receivers put up. Uh, had a 39 inch vertical, ran four, five, seven, I think it was at 257 pounds. Uh, so that's pretty good. And, you know, all that, you know, sort of underscores what we've known about Bucky for a while. This guy is an incredible athlete. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's no way to, to say it any other way. You, you knew he was going to kill some of these events just because uh, you don't see a lot of 6'6", 257-pound guys that can you know run and jump and do all that stuff like he can. Now, uh, it wasn't all great. Uh, I mean, there was a portion where he was uh, doing a blocking drill, uh, getting into a three-point stance, and they had uh, you know Mike Mayock and Greg Olson was a guest analyst on the NFL Network, and both of them sort of recoiled when they said, they're like, oh, my God, you can tell he's never done this in his life. Like, he looks like it's so unnatural, and he – had a bad base and didn't, you know, took a step back before he went forward in the block. And, you know, that sort of speaks to the fact that he's been a receiver essentially the last two years at Virginia Tech. He hasn't done a lot of that, you know, hand in the ground, you know, traditional tight end stuff. But, uh, you know, I think he helped himself in the sense that people really love physical tools in the NFL draft. Uh, is he going to be a first rounder because of that? I doubt it. Uh, you know, it probably takes more than that to shoot that high, especially when there's, you know, O.J. Howard, David Nyoku from uh, Miami. There's plenty of really athletic tight ends who maybe have been more of a traditional tight end uh, in this draft. But, uh, you know, if you say you could help yourself or hurt yourself in the combine, I would say that Bucky definitely helped himself. Yeah, and I guess on the other end of the spectrum, Sam I, Sam Rogers didn't have that great of a day or great great of a combine or, or how would you characterize well, his, his combine? Sam Rogers had the kind of combine I would expect. I mean, he, he ran, the, I think it was a four nine three, which is the slowest of the running backs, but he was one of the only fullbacks there. He's not going to outrun tailbacks, that thing. Uh, mm. You know, he's not going to go out there and wow you with how he jumps or anything like that. But his value as a football player is that he's able to contribute in so many ways and contribute in a, a leadership capacity. And, Oh, you need a guy to cover punts. Sam can do that. You need a guy to, to, Tackle, you know, to block on punts, Sam can do that. You know, you got to catch the ball, catch a pass, run the ball, uh, throw a block on the offense. Sam does all this stuff. You look at 53-man rosters in the NFL, uh, I think there's going to be a spot for a guy that's that versatile and can do that many things. So, uh, you know, the NFL combine wasn't going to be a great showcase for him in that sense, at least the on-field stuff. Uh, I know any interviews he might have had with teams or meetings with that would have, uh, you know, probably gone swimmingly for him because anybody he talks to, I think they come away with going, wow, that's a pretty well-adjusted young man who understands uh, the team concept of football right now. Um, you look at two entire coaching staffs that Virginia Tech has had that they've come away going, that's one of the best leaders they've ever seen in their life. So I think that shines through when you talk to them. I think if people just watch this sort of workout day at the combine, that it's not as obvious. And who else do we, uh, know about i mean how do they how did the rest of the crowd do up there well i, I think chuck clark kind of came kind of had showings that you thought they would i don't think they're the highest ranked guys on defensive draft boards but they were pretty solid uh gerard evans uh looked a little raw in some of his his passing stuff at least those are the remarks from the analysts watching uh they were saying his, his drop back doesn't look very natural uh which is sort of understandable he was a shotgun guy all season hadn't really done a lot of that 
I think Mike Mayock said several times that he just wishes that, that Evans would have come back for another year of development at Virginia Tech. I think a lot of Hokies fans uh, wish the same would have been true. Uh, Isaiah Ford didn't necessarily run a blazing speed. I think it was 4 6 1. Uh, you know, not exactly the fastest of the receivers, which didn't help his cause there. I think uh, some other reports that he didn't catch the ball that well. I don't know if that's just sort of a one-off thing, it, you know, bad day at the office type thing on, on the workout portion of that. But, you know, we've seen Isaiah perform for three years. Uh, he's a pretty good football player. <laughs> I, I don't think uh, the workouts are going to sum up the kind of contribution that he can make to a team. So this is where I kind of get back to the fact that, you know, way too much gets put into a, a one individual workout at, in Indy. I think a lot of these guys are pretty good football players that, uh, even if the workout numbers don't show that, we'll have productive NFL careers. Yeah, I kind of look at it like I do uh, baseball prospects. You know, if you had great workouts, great. Uh, you're going to earn yourself a little bit of equity and maybe a little bit more patience uh, from the organization that drafts you, but but you're still going to have to perform at some point. And that's the same thing that everyone else is doing. I mean, if, if nobody totally threw themselves out of the mix by just having a, a – terrible workout i really kind of think it's it's much ado about little but uh then again i mean it, it, people watch it people like you said i mean it's it's popular uh i i don't really get it myself either it, but uh it's 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 thriving it's it's, it's, it's you know I'd, I'd like to be one of those guys who trains uh people ahead of the combine because those, those people must make uh, a ton of money I mean, Here's the thing that's funny is I, you know, I put in a Twitter search for each of the guy's names that I'm following during the day just to see if anything comes up. So you get like the actual tweets from people that are watching it and analysts and you know, talent evaluators at the event. But you also get like fans that just have their opinions out there that are watching on TV and, you know, people are like, ah, oh, Isaiah Ford just fell off my draft board. It's like, well, if you're the GM of the Panthers, that's maybe an important <laughs> thing. But if you're just some schlub sitting on your couch watching at home, I don't think many people care about what your draft board is in the first place, <laughs> let, let alone who's on the thing. I, I, I just think it's funny, some of the you know hot takes that come out of this thing. And, uh, you know, I think everybody thought Bucky Hodges had a pretty good pretty good afternoon. I was reading something on Bleacher Report where they're like, one of the losers of the NFL Combine was Bucky Hodges. I'm like, okay, this will – this will be some strain. <laughs> this will be some strained logic to see how they get to this point. They're like, "Oh, well, he couldn't line up in a three-point stance, and he was horrible. And you got to do that to be a tight end in the league." It's like he—he's gonna be—he's just like Jimmy Graham. And I'm like, "Oh yes, Jimmy <laughs> Jimmy Graham, the four-time All-Pro tight end who signed a forty million dollar contract with a twenty million dollar signing bonus. Oh, to be so limited in your talent and the, oh, like, my. I mean." These people just expect every single guy to be this well-rounded, does everything right. But, you know, there's room for a lot of niche athletes. And, if, you know, Bucky Hodges is a big receiving tight end who can stretch the field and create mismatches. That has value in the NFL. You know, not every guy is going to be, a, you know, he, he brings his lunch bail to work and he work, does work in the trenches and, you know, occasionally goes out and catches a pass. Like, that's not every tight end in the league. And I think the more that teams are going to passing offenses, the more value of a guy like Jimmy Graham, like, oh, to, to be compared to Jimmy Graham would be the greatest thing ever, I think, if you were Bucky Hodges, because you go, that guy's a pretty successful NFL tight end. Would you be able to hang out with somebody who had his own draft board? I mean, would that even be a person that you could just go have dinner with? Or well, I'm curious, I mean, I... does this guy have, like, a magnet board at home with all those <laughs> nameplates that he's just, like, watching – 
He watches Isaiah run the 40 and just shakes his head. He you know, solemnly pulls his name off and moves it down five notches on his draft board. It's like, I don't know. Mom, go heat me up some meatloaf. I got to work on this draft board a little bit longer today. It's just, you know, I mean, all that matters is what the NFL teams and all that matters is really what one NFL team, you know, thinks because they're, they're the one that's going to take you at a certain point in the draft. So, uh, you know, all this overreaction to one, th- you know, these guys, that's the other thing is all these NFL people are like, oh my gosh, this this guy's really good. It's like, yeah, that's what college people have been saying for four years. They've watched these people <laughs> over, you know, playing in actual games on a football field, and all of a sudden they run, you know, a four three and you know, cleats and an uh, you know, uh, a turf field and you know, where there's nobody in the crowd and anything like that, and all of a sudden this guy's really fast. It's like, yeah, no kidding, this guy was really fast for four years. It, it just kind of amazes me sometimes. Speaking of nobody in the crowd, it, it is now local time, 12.01, and, and Brooklyn is looking pretty uh, pretty sparse. Of course, that's the case every year. I caution some people, uh, you know, I caution people, including myself, in my blog post today, that, look, you know, every year on Tuesday, you're like, oh, the ACC tournament is dead, and then, oh, by Thursday, you remember, oh, no, it's not. You know, this, this tournament still matters a lot, but, uh, yeah, it, it looks like these early-round games, as expected, will be attended by friends and family only. Well, what did you call them, the Solemn Six? Is that what the uh... – yeah. The first game came are. up with that name, and I I really like that name. Oh yeah, definitely definitely take credit for that. Well, I mean, I remember back to the what they called the eight nine game, the Les Robinson Invitational at the ACC. <laughs> I mean, nobody came to that game. That was just a, a nothing game. So yeah, it's nothing different. Uh, the kind of crowds are going to get this thing. Well, we are two weeks so exactly two weeks away from the start of uh, football practice, spring football practice for Virginia Tech, and we will probably be able to get together between now and then, uh, I would think either by phone or, or, or in person to talk about that. Yeah, now so, that we've but, opened up this avenue. Yeah, we have to go with a prediction, though. Who do you predict to win the, the ACC tournament? I, I think the prediction we should do is how far the Hokies get. Okay, how like, far the, the, the Hokies going to get? Yeah, I am going to go with uh, that they go home on uh, Thursday night. Uh, I'm going to say they win this. They win this Wake Forest game, assuming it's Wake Forest. Of course, you know, it can be like everything else when we take this. Boston College shocking us. That's for the Eagles. But if regardless of who comes out of that side, assuming it's going to be Wake Forest, I think Tech will get that one. And then I think Berman is right. I think Florida State will take care of uh, take care of the Hokies. But the Hokies will go home uh, safe in the notion that they'll be in that bracket on Sunday. And this has been uh, – uh, for for a lot of reasons, it's been a whale of a year. Got back in the rankings, going to get in the NCAA tournament. I've uh, got a good, you know, a decent seed here in the ACC tournament. You've earned a lot of respect, I think, in the league if you're Virginia Tech. So, uh, no shame in losing to the number two seed if that if that were to happen. I think it's uh, I think it might be a one and done. And I'm looking at Wake Forest. Really? I'm th- looking at Wake Forest. And I'm thinking of the level of motivation for that game. And Wake Forest definitely needs to win it. I mean, if they lose that game, I think they're on the outside looking in in the NCAA tournament. And just kind of looking at the way that the Deacons have played the last couple weeks, I know it's tough to beat a team twice in the same week. Uh, I I just think the inside play might be enough to to take the Hokies out in that one. And I don't think that's necessarily the worst thing for the Hokies if they lose in the first round of this thing, get rested up for the NCAA tournament coming up since they're going to be in it. They're not in the bubble in that sense. So, uh, 
I, like like you, if if they were to win that, I don't think they get past Florida State. But I think that Wake Forest game, if it gets to that point, could be pretty tough. Well, you talk about motivation, and I know Buzz addressed this on Saturday after the game. He said, "Look, you played what felt like postseason games ever since that Virginia game that they won in the double overtime, and uh, you know to to go five and one in the first six of those when when everything was on the line, basically." He thought there was a little bit of an exhale from his team ahead of that that Saturday game against Wake Forest, and there certainly shouldn't have been because they were only a one and a half point favorite. And if you're a coach not looking at the lines, I would I would advise you to start looking. You know, like look, we're only a one and a half point favorite at a place we've won all but one game this season. This team can come in and whoop us, is what I would tell them. But uh, anyway, they uh, you know I think they, they, their hunger has been rekindled. Uh, after after losing that game, I think they understand that the, you know they're they're not just going to walk out there and win games like they were doing. I mean it was it was uh, it was a, a nice run, but uh, they kind of forgot what got them to that point. I think a little bit, and so the defensive intensity will be a lot better than it was on Saturday. I mean, there won't be a sixty one percent shooting night from the Deacons. Uh, I think that's a pretty safe prediction, and uh, and then therefore I think Tech. Second win. Um, so, do you want to predict also who's going to win the whole tournament? You have somebody other than UNC. I like don't. I don't really have. I don't really have a great opinion about. Who, I, I think it would come from that side. I think it's UNC or Louisville or Duke. Whoever comes out of that side of the semifinal, I think wins it. That's not necessarily going on the limb, but uh, yeah, those. I think that's the the tougher side, and the tougher team will come out of that side. Here's a fun fact for you. Did you know that last year in the ACC tournament? There was only one victory by a lower seeded team over a higher seeded team. Really? <laughs> the entire tournament. Uh, you know, it was total chalk all the way, including the final in which uh, not top ranked UNC beat number two Virginia. So I'm I'm hopeful that there's a lot more carnage in this bracket. You know, I I think there will be. Uh, I'm hopeful that there will be. What? Uh, let's do another prediction on a scale of one to ten, uh, with ten being like you know out of this world excitement. Uh, what? What level of excitement do you think this this ACC tournament will provide in relation to past ACC tournaments? Because I'm going ten. I mean, I think this is going to be as good as as good as it gets. I think in terms of the the competitiveness and how good the teams are, I think it's up around a ten. I, I think the fact that it's not in North Carolina, I I think that is an issue. Uh, and like we talked about before, so I I think I lowered a little bit. I put it in an eight or nine range. Okay. All right. Well, let's uh, let's plan. If unless you've got somebody else lined up, uh, you know, a tech figure or whatever, uh, let's let's plan to maybe get together between now and uh, the twenty first and and preview spring practice. How's that sound? Yeah, that sounds good. You realize this is our one hundredth podcast here. We made it to triple digits. That's big. That's I know. Big. And we still don't have. We still don't have the microphones like they do on the on the podcast. Well, I'm, I'm using happen. the microphone right now, so hopefully it sounds pretty good. I'm talking to you over the phone on Skype here, but from our humble beginnings where we had that, you know, you know, one <laughs> this horribly ancient device in the middle of us that would record us. Sometimes, sometimes we'd record it, it wouldn't record, it'd be all crackling when we get it up. It sounds like it's in a static machine or something like that. Uh, to now, 100 episodes where we almost have this halfway figured out. Uh, you know. It, as a, a famous uh, UNC alum said recently, the ceiling is the roof with this podcast going forward. It's, <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> exactly. Well, 
if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go grab a bite at uh, Luigi's here and uh, enjoy the rest of the day in Brooklyn. If you want to sign us off, you go ahead. Since you, you took the lead on this podcast. That sounds good for a Luigi's bound Aaron McFarlane. This is Andy Bitter. Thanks for listening.